You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Yeah, where would we be without God's grace? That's, that is uh, quite the thought. Thank you, Diana, for that. And uh, good to... Good to have good music like that, and and it's for the Lord, but it has an effect on us too, and I'm grateful for it. Genesis 13 is where we're going to be this morning, and uh, we're in Genesis again, looking at the life of Abram. Uh, last week we saw how he made a mistake in Egypt, and how Abram went with his wife Sarai. They went into Egypt because of a famine, and it backfired terribly. He back he lied about his wife Sarai, and. And he embarrassed himself with Pharaoh. He injured the testimony of God. So he comes back to Canaan. And in coming back, he returns to what he had done at the beginning. And that he builds an altar before the Lord. Which is, Abram's life was marked by a life of altars. And that he was always seeking God. And just though in case you think, well, now that he's back doing what he's supposed to do, uh, life is going to get a lot easier. Well, that's not the way it works. And we find out very soon uh, that he goes from his low point in Egypt to a high point in building an altar and then right back into a conflict with a family member. And we're going to look at that this morning in Genesis 13. Let's stand as we read the scripture here this morning. We're going to read the chapter today. And and, uh, I just want you to follow along as I read and try to catch the story We'll cover some verses that we looked at at the end last week, beginning in verse 1 through 4, and then we'll read the rest of the chapter. It says in in Genesis 13, 1, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had. And Lot went with, with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land." And Abram said unto Lot, let there, be a, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. I love that phrase, we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram, After that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, 
and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. What we see here is, there's a lot here, but I've got to focus on one message or we'll be here all afternoon. So, but what we see here is the response, I want to notice the response of two men, the response to the strife of life. Life will bring strife. It just will. And you can be doing right and you can be minding your business and suddenly strife. Whether or not you're looking for it, you can't avoid it, but you can consider in the middle of strife what matters most when strife happens. See, Abram provides a great example of that, and Lot, not so much. So today we'll be looking at what it takes to actually win when there's strife. See, typically we think we have a choice. We can either lose now and win later, or we can win now and lose later. But really, there's a way to win now and win later. And we'll be looking at that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, this book, for this text. I thank you for the practical way. Lord, I pray that it doesn't feel so practical this morning that we lose how significant this element is. And that our life will be full of strife. That's just the way it is. But our response to the strife will determine if we end up in a bad place or in a good place. Lord, I'm praying that you'll help us to open our eyes and help us to see how practical your word can be this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. When I was in, uh, in kindergarten, my very first, uh, my first experience with organized sports was I played t-ball in kindergarten. And probably many of you may have played t-ball. Maybe you got your start in soccer or something like that. I played t-ball and and I remember, this is strange, but I still remember when I, at the end of our season there um, as a t-ball player, um, I got a plaque from my, from my coach. And it says, anyone can rejoice in great victory. However, it is a true, te- a true test of sportsmanship and courage to smile even in the face of defeat. And that really stood out to me as a kid. And I, I, mean, I don't know why our coach gave that to us because, I, I mean, it could be because I was just bad enough at t-ball that he wanted me to feel better about it. It could be that our team was terrible enough and he wanted that to be our, be our closing uh, mantra. Or it could be that my coach knew that dignity in losing is not easy to come by. It could be that my coach knew that an important lesson in life is sometimes you don't come out ahead and yet to still maintain your dignity and a good spirit that's a good lesson for all of us to learn isn't it deference is hard deference when when you give way out of consideration for somebody else that's difficult to be humble when somebody else wins that's tough i mean as 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 our family grew uh, we didn't play a lot of games when the kids were little mostly because i don't like to lose to, to my children when I play Candyland. That's first. But also, sometimes it's hard to play because Candyland, there's no skill involved, by the way. So when my kids beat me, it's not because they're better. It's just pure luck. 
still bitter about it. Okay, so playing games as a family when you're a kid and you're trying to teach your young, your children to accept that sometimes you lose, that's not easy. I mean, the world ends when, when, when somebody loses. And it's not just kids. I mean, sometimes we struggle uh, with the things uh, of life. Why we, we struggle with letting someone pull in in front of us or, or, take a, take t- or cut us off or get in front of us in traffic, don't we? I mean, have you ever found yourself speeding up to the car in front of you just so somebody couldn't slip in? Yeah, that's because your parents didn't teach you the important lessons during Candyland sessions as a child. Um, and it's not, it's not easy when someone else gets the promotion at work that you think that you might have deserved. It's hard to defer in conversations and let somebody else have the last word, isn't it? And if all these things are true, then we still have lessons to learn when it comes to deference. We have lessons to learn when it comes to humbly submitting ourselves out of respect or out of consideration of some, for somebody else. We look at deference as losing. We, we, when someone gets in front of us in traffic, we think, I just lost. When someone uh, gets the promotion at work, we think, I just lost. By nature, as sinners, we like to win. We like to have the last word. Losing Candyland is tough. I mean, let somebody, I mean, not getting the last word, it stings. It's not in our nature when someone else wins the moment. But that's the constant struggle. See, we have a nature that wants one thing, and yet if we follow Christ, we have a different standard, don't we? See, if Christ dwells in us and he's in front of us as an example, we no longer get to just live according to our sin nature. We follow his steps. And as a man, he personified deference. If anyone could have demanded to win, Jesus Christ deserved to win. And yet he humbled himself time and time again. And we could look at Philippians 2 and we might at the end, but it's summarized with this thought, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it has applications like, let nothing be done through strife and vainglory. And look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So the mind of Christ is when you don't let strife and vainglory dictate your life. The mind of Christ is when you look at the, at, at the things of others instead of the things of yourself. That's how he did it. So by Christ's power and example, we can live that way, but it's just not easy. And you say, well, that, it's just not fair sometimes. And I might say you're right, but we have to learn to see past the moment of strife and see that there's a bigger picture involved. Jesus Christ did that very thing. And we're going to come back to it in just a moment. But here in our text, I want to look at what Abram did with the strife with a lot. And I want to see that in this account, there are some important applications for us to make. I start with the general thought, strife happens. It does. I want to start by reminding you who this was written to. The children of Israel were reading these books of the law that Moses wrote and they were coming out of Egypt and they were going into the promised land. So this passage obviously is here for them first. And if you can imagine millions of people going through the desert together and picking up their tents every few days and following a pillar and following the the cloud and they're moving toward the promised land. Listen, their unity was very important. And they needed to see lessons like this, that there will be plenty of times that strife happens in life. And if, but if you want to take the promised land, you have to be willing to deal with strife the correct way. And it's really no different for us, folks, in that God, Jesus Christ, came that we might have life and that we might have life what? 
abundantly. So if he, want, he wants us to have abundant life, he wants us to dwell in the promised land. That's where he wants us to be. But I'm contending with you or telling you this morning, submitting to you today, that if you don't learn how to deal with the strife of life, you will not enter into the promised land. If you don't learn how to deal with people when strife comes, then you will not live the abundant Christian life. That's the lesson that's at stake for the children of Israel as they're reading this account between Abram and Lot. Life is full of strife. You can't avoid it. You can't escape it. You can't get out of it. But if you don't learn to deal with it, it will keep you from the promised land. So look here in verses, four, uh, verses 1 through 4 as we get into our text. We already read this, but Abram went out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver and gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, under the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. I just want to remind you, like I did last week and I have in the last few weeks, Abram's relationship with God was his top priority. And there were times where he failed, but he always went back to building altars. He was known for the altars. And that obviously meant he was a worshiper. He didn't just follow God, he knew God. So I'm asking you this morning, if you claim to be a worshiper and you claim to be a follower, I'm asking, do you know God? Is your life, is, is an indicator of the kind of life you live, is it the altars that you have? Do you prioritize your personal relationship with God? And you might say, well, I try to. I'm trying the best I can. I think I'm fairly consistent. And, and listen, I, and this has been something on my mind recently. I'm not just talking about reading your Bible. And I'm not just talking about going to church, although those things are absolutely important. I'm not just talking about prayer. I'm talking about do you seek God See, there's a big difference between when we open our Bibles and reread our chapters and pray. There's a big difference between that and seeking God. See, sometimes I think that we, our relationship with God stops at the Bible. And we say, well, you know, I read my Bible. But the Bible is not about itself. It's a revelation of God himself. So the Bible leads you to a relationship. Are you seeking God or do you simply read your Bible? When you open God's word, you say, God, reveal yourself to me. Or just, no, I've got to check this off my list for the day. No, Abram was not. Yes, he built altars, but he was seeking God. And let me give you something more measurable than even than that. You can learn a lot by looking up definitions of words. And this isn't really about the story, but I want to point it out because it's here. Verse 3 says, Abram returned to Bethel where he first built an altar. Do you know what Bethel means? You mean, Brother Mark, what does it mean? means house of God. You know what? When Abram knew he'd blown it and he wanted to get things right, guess where he went back to? Amen. The house of God. Amen. Right back to where he knew God dwelt. And I know things are a little different. This isn't the temple and God doesn't reveal himself in the same way that he used to. But this is the house of God. The Bible says that the church is the house of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. This is the God, house of God. This God, this represents God. And listen, if you've come today and you've recently blown it and you think, well, God's not going to take me back. He did it for Abram and he'll do it for you too. 
You're in no better spot today than in the house of God if you want to make things right. Again, Abram went to the house of God. It's no accident. The strength of your walk with God, friend, it is not meant to be lived on your own. The strength of your walk with God is meant to grow in context of his house. Don't assume that your relationship with God can be all it's supposed to be if you're not plugged in to the house of God. So notice, though, the cause of strife. Look at verse 1. It says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him. And look, verse 5, it says, And Lot also. I want to just notice first, right off the bat here, the reason that the strife took place is because Lot was there. And I just want to remind you that in chapter 12, verse 1, look back there and read it with me. It says, chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy what? Kindred, and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. So what did God tell Abram from the very beginning that he should do? He should get out of his land and get away from his kindred and get away from his father's house and listen I know that Lot his nephew he probably needed some mentorship he needed some love but but God had told Abram to leave the kindred leave his family and yet we see him here in this story now he's got Lot with him and it's causing trouble and let me just remind you of a message I preached a few weeks ago when we exercise halfway obedience it's not full obedience And we can say, well, yes, I'm obeying God, but because Abram didn't truly fully obey God, it comes back and causes us some problems here in that Lot and his his herdmen and Abram's herdmen, now they have strife. Look at verse 2. Here's another reason for the strife. Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. You know, this is the first mention of wealth in the Bible. And though verse 2 sounds innocuous enough, um, the impact of wealth on Abram and Lot is definitely negative here. Look at verse 5. It says, Lot also which went, which went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. So the other half of the strife, it starts because Lot is there and also because Abram is rich, but also because Lot is rich. And the wealth of these two men caused strife. Now their, their herdmen, Lot's herdmen, and Abram's herdmen are coming at each other because there's not room for them both to dwell together. The substance is so great, they couldn't all be in the same place. There's strife now because of it. See, listen, there's nothing inherently wrong with wealth. And if you have a lot of wealth and you have a lot of resources, I praise God for that. But I just want you to point out, and for those of you young people in this room that think riches are going to solve all your problems, let me just remind you that the first mention of wealth and riches in all the Bible is a ne- has a negative connotation. It leads to strife in our lives. And listen, when we seek wealth, and we, 1 Timothy 6 says that, that the, the love of money is the, is the root of all evil. And it may, it may not be that the wealth or the money itself will destroy you, but your love for money will destroy you. And we, we begin to see that we, when it comes to wealth in our lives, in the life of a follower, if we have great wealth, it tends to leave no room for, for the proper love of God. It has a tendency to choke out the other things in our lives. Listen, we can have possessions, just make sure that our possessions don't have us. If that happens, then we will leave God out of our life. There won't be room for him. Look at the effect, though, of this strife. Look at chapter 7, sorry, chapter, uh, verse 7 of the second part. It says, after this strife was going on, it says, And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. Verse 7. And I don't think that's their own accident. 
Now here's Abram who follows God and here's Lot who follows God and they're building altars and they say, yeah, we follow Jehovah. Yeah, we follow the one true God and now their herdmen are at strife with each other and it says the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt there in the land and I don't think it's there by accident because I think that's an indication that when God's people have strife and they can't get along, it affects their testimony before the world. The Canaanite and the Perizzite, they're like, yeah, have you heard of Abram? Have you heard a lot? Yeah, they serve this God. His name is Jehovah, and they say he's the one true God. But listen, they can't even get along. Pretty good lesson for us. And again, that's not the main point. Sometimes it's hard not to chase the rabbit trails as you go through. So I hope you see that. Abram moves into Canaan, sets up an altar, and he's like, yeah, I serve the true God, the one true God. But the people around him are saying, "Eh, there's not much different than us, are they? Why would I follow their God? It's a sad testimony. Look at verse 8. Maturity steps in. Abram said unto Lot. Here's where we get to the crux of it. There, let, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Abram, in his maturity, steps in. He sees what's going on, and he says, Lot, let's not strive, we be brethren. And I love that phrase. I want to use that more often. I love what he does here. He's saying, we be brethren, and it makes it clear. Abram is making it clear that his relationship with Lot matters more to him than the conflict. We be brethren, Lot. That's more important than this little thing we're fighting through. And it takes maturity, To do something like that. Abram is willing to give up his rights even as the head of the tribe, if you will. He's the older, he's the richer, he's the wealthier, he has more influence, he has more stuff. And yet he defers to his nephew, Lot. I mean, Abram basically comes along and he says, now Lot, you take your pick. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And what's interesting about all of this, listen, is that God had promised all this land... To Abram, not Lot. It was Abram at the receiving end of those promises in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And yet here, Abram says, my relationship, listen, my relationship with you, Lot, is more important than getting my way in this situation. He separates himself from Lot because of the big picture. And here's what I really want to get in your mind this morning, is that he's willing to give up his rights to preserve a relationship. He's willing to give up his rights to preserve a relationship. Could Abram have just put his foot down and said, no, I get to choose and you're going to be stuck. I'm going to send you away. You go do something else. You don't get any of this. Could he have? Yeah, he was the rightful owner. But he was willing to give up his rights in order to preserve a relationship. And friends, strife happens. It happened to Abram and Lot. It will happen between God's people today. It's part of life. There will be people that you just don't connect with. There will be people that annoy you. And trust me, you probably annoy them too. Christians sometimes just don't see eye to eye. But Abram's example lets us know that it doesn't have to destroy a relationship. See, as a matter of fact, our view of the situation will determine if the relationship is salvaged or destroyed. See, there's two contrasting mindsets. And I want to think about Lot's first. See, Lot went with what he could see. Look at verse 10. 
And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5, where it says, we walk by faith, not by sight, except that Lot is walking by sight, not by faith. See, he's not taking anything into account except what looks the best. And as a believer, we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. We're supposed to look beyond the moment and live according to God's promises. And, and before you think, you, before you write Lot off as being, you know, well, he just wasn't right. No, the Bible says that he was just Lot. Justified. I mean, so if he's, if he's a child of God... Um, and then he is, he's frustrating God's purpose in his life by choosing based on things that he can see instead of operating by God's promises. He makes a fleshly decision. And without taking anything else into account, he chooses the most beautiful, lush land that he can find. And we might have done the same thing. We might have looked and said, oh, wow, look how beautiful that is over there. See, apparently the plain of Jordan was like paradise. I mean, the Bible says it's like the Garden of Eden. I mean, it, it was interesting that here's Lot coming out of the famine and he's looking for a place that isn't going to have a famine. He says, no, the famine was rough. I have all of these herds. I have all these people following me that I'm responsible for. I want to go somewhere where I don't have to deal with famine. And he picks the plain of Jordan. But it also means that he doesn't think about the effect that where he moves to is going to have on him and his family. Because the Bible says that he went, he looked at Sodom and he moved towards Sodom and he was looking for a place that was beautiful, but he ends up in a place that destroys his spiritual life. Not just his, but his whole family. Look at verse 12. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. You know what Lot should have done before he moved towards Sodom? He should have gotten on, on the internet and he should have Googled Sodom. And he said, is Sodom a good place to raise my family? And Google would have come back with a big no. And here are the reasons why. You know, Lot didn't think about that at all. And listen, I'm thankful for Christians that look ahead and they don't just make rash decisions and they don't just think about where they're going and not think about all the effects on, on, on what it's going to have on their family. I'm grateful that we can do that a little bit easier today. But there are still some of us and we're still at times we tend to make decisions based not on what the spiritual impact will be, but what the physical impact will be. Because all Lot cared about was I'm going to go to a place that can feed my, my, my flocks and my herds and will give me plenty of good place to, to grow my resources and continue to build my wealth. He didn't think at all about the spiritual impact on his family. He was moving to a place that if he would have just asked around, somebody would have told him, yeah, the men in Sodom, they are exceedingly wicked. And yet he's not walking by faith at all. He's simply walking by sight. And there are so many applications, but walking by sight instead of faith will literally destroy your spiritual life. Don't make decisions about moves and jobs without considering the spiritual impact in your life. 
Don't prioritize the gain of temporary wealth and resources over your spiritual life. Don't make daily choices based on what's just right in front of you. Walking by faith means you make your choices based on God's word and what lies ahead rather than what you can just see in front of you. See, Lot's carnal nature becomes clear. And if I was to describe Lot in his mindset when it comes to strife, here it is. Lot refused to lose. He wanted to win the now. And so while Abram humbled himself and deferred, Lot didn't give an inch, and he won the moment. He got the last word. He held tightly to his rights, but listen, that mentality led him to spiritual destruction. So you know what we might describe Lot this way? We might say, win now, lose later. Because he won the moment. He had his way, he got first pick, he got the land he wanted, and it feels good to win right now, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it feel good to win the moment when you get to have the last word and, and, and you get to come out on top? But listen, he might have won the moment, but he lost in the end. His choices destroyed him, and it happens all the time. Listen, in an argument, you can win now and get the last word, but you'll lose by hurting the person you're arguing with or injuring that relationship permanently. You can say what you, what's on your mind. And we, we view that as, you know, we kind of view that as something that, yeah, that's what you do. You just speak your mind and you let people know. No, you can win now by feeling good to get it off your chest. But you'll lose later because I can promise you you'll have regrets for what you've said. You can get your way in a situation and you can just put your feet down and say, no, I'm not giving in right now. And you might might win now by strong arming, but you'll lose later because you didn't respect their opinion. And now there's broken fellowship. And you can win now by just telling the truth. And I'm just going to tell them what they need to hear. And listen, that needs to be done at times, doesn't it? People need to hear the truth. We need to convince them of something that, that, that could hurt them. But we, what we like to win now by doing it with a mean spirit. And yet we'll tell the truth, but we won't do it in a way that lets them know we also love them. So we might even have the right position, but we've got the wrong disposition. And so in telling the truth, we might win now, but listen, we lose later. Because we might have done it in a way that that didn't please the Lord. See, winning now but losing later is never worth it. Yeah, you might get to get your way and you might even win the strife today. But the result of your choices means you lose tomorrow, just like Lot. A win isn't worth the regret over what was said. Have you ever stayed up late at night and you regret what you said? And you just, I mean, you wish you could just take it back. I mean, that happens to me plenty where, I mean, I say it, and while the words are still floating toward the ears of the hearer, I'm already thinking, oh, no, no, get that one back. And you can't. It's like water spilt on the ground, you're not going to get it again. And you wish you could take it back. And teenager, don't you wish there was something, you know, that you posted online on social media, and you wish you could take the words back. But man, once it's there, it's there. You've got to be careful, young people, of what you put out there um, because you'll regret it. And just because you win the moment doesn't mean you win in the end. A win isn't worth the hurt that you cause in the other person. A win is not worth the injured and unrepairable relationship. But most of all, friends, the, the win in the moment means that God is not pleased with our pride. And in the end, if you lose with God, you lose, period. 
And instead of a win-now-lose-later approach, we should be more like Abram. See, remember, he gave up his rights to preserve a relationship. His philosophy was more this. I'll lose now and win later. See, he was willing to take a hit in the moment if it meant that the relationship could be preserved. And in sports, they call this, yeah, just take the L. Take the loss. Yeah, just take the L. You know, do it with dignity. You lost Um, You lost fair and square, just take the L and move on. That's what they say in sports. But sometimes as Christians, it feels like we just need to take the L on this one. See, Abram was willing to look like he took a loss in the moment so that there could be a win in the end. And even though he said, we be brethren, he wasn't just concerned about his relationship with Lot, this horizontal relationship. No, he was willing to give up his rights in order to protect the vertical relationship. See, by deferring, by doing what some might call losing, by taking the L, he, de- he preserved both his relationship with Lot and his relationship with God. Maturity is when you're willing to take a small loss in the moment in order to enjoy a bigger win in the end. It means that you don't have to have the last word, friends. See, in letting it go, you preserve this relationship, but it also means you please the Lord. You don't have to get your way with that coworker who just rubs you wrong. No, you take a small loss now, but you preserve this horizontal relationship and the vertical relationship by maintaining your testimony before the Canaanite and the Perizzite. Husbands and wives, and I don't know if this is, uh, if this is even, uh, this is probably the, the primary application in all this, in that this principle can help so many marriages overcome the small issues of strife that are eroding the relationship uh, between many marriages or in many marriages today. I mean, I'm talking about godly people, Christian people, and they can't seem to defer and simply take a small L in the moment. They've got to have the last word. They've got to get their way. They have to express their opinion. Listen, you don't have to win the moment. It's okay to defer and lose the now in order to win later. Because if that relationship with your spouse matters to you, then you would be willing to defer so that in the end, it's, it's still there and restored. But sometimes we get so full of pride that we don't want to take the, the L. We have to have the last word. We have to say the last thing. And, we, and it's just destroying relationships and destroying homes. But let's be honest, deference really isn't about losing now. See, I might use that, take the L, but no, it's winning now and later. You see, because you've preserved both relationships with deference. And yes, it feels like a loss, but it's not to God. See, in this case, the only one who really lost between Abram and Lot, who lost? Lot. You see, he took the loss um, even though he thought he was winning. When you, disagree, when you disagree with a friend, you can win now by deferring and preserve a friendship and win later by pleasing God and having no regrets. See, when you struggle to hold your tongue with the person behind the counter, win now by humbling yourself and keeping the door open to have a good testimony and then win later by pleasing God. When the person you serve with at church might do things differently than the way you do them, win now by striving together and striving against, instead of striving against. 
And you'll find yourself then contributing to a spirit of unity by striving to please God. See, so I'm asking today, what's your mindset? See, do you have a win-now mentality? I win at all costs. I'm, I'm competitive. I just do it. Listen, I know it's hard. I know it's not natural. We don't like to feel like we're losing. It's never fun to take the L, but you have to change your mindset about it. It's not, about, it's not losing to do right in the moment. It's never a loss to do right in the moment. It's always a win to do right by humbling ourselves. It's always a win to please God instead of having to get our way. It's always a win to choose godliness over greed. It's always a win to choose a person over pride. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, it's an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. Proverbs 28, 25, he that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. I like that word. It means prosperous. Listen, it's always winning to preserve relationships instead of personal rights. Always. Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. And you might say, but what if I'm being wronged? And listen, I know there may be instances in which you have to make a choice to protect yourself from injury or protect yourself from danger. I'm not saying that you just simply roll over in every situation. That's not the application here. I'm talking about the small everyday matters of strife that come up between two people. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about, um, about someone that's trying to get you to disobey God. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about the matters of life that we deal with every day that we think are the biggest things you ever saw, but really in the big picture, they don't really matter. I'm talking about when your feelings are hurt. I'm talking about when you feel that your rights have been infringed by, and, and you have to just choose to defer for the greater good instead of winning the moment. And you say, but it's not fair. I, I know it's not. It usually is not fair. I mean, life's not fair. That's, I mean, that's what we ought to teach our children that. It's just life isn't fair. But let's think back to Philippians 2. Actually, let's turn to Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2 in the New Testament. You might say, but what if I'm being wrong? Well, I just want you to remember the example of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2. Look what Christ gave up to sit at the, to, to uh, accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish. It says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You know what that means? That means that he was sitting at the right hand of his father. But when it came time for him to obey and come down to the earth, he didn't hold on to the throne and make him pull him out of the throne room. No, he didn't hold on to it and grasp it and said, no, no, this is my place. I will not give this up. No, what he did, he gave up his rights so that he could preserve a relationship. Look at verse 7. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Of men. You know what Jesus Christ truly deserved? He deserved to come to this planet and sit on a throne and reign as king and yet he humbled himself. He came of no reputation. He came in the form of a servant. He was like any other man and being found in fashion as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself. Here's a man who gave up everyone, a God... He's God, but he's also man, 
100% God, 100% man. But as a man, he gave up all the rights he enjoyed in the throne room of God at the right hand of his father to come and be humbled and be born as a servant, not as a king. And the reason for it was so that he could go to the cross and die in our place, in our stead, so that why? So that we could have a relationship. So in the end, we're seeing him do exactly what Abram did and that we ought to be willing to give up our rights if it means preserving a relationship. Jesus Christ gave up all of these things that he enjoyed in heaven. Now, he didn't give up his deity. He is still God. But he gave up, for that time, he gave up his position to come down and be born and walk in the dusty streets. And you know what? If you had sat there and you didn't know what was happening, if you were there on the day that Jesus Christ was, was, was crucified and you were there and you were watching him and you didn't know what was happening, you know what you might have thought? That's a loss. That's a major loss. I mean, look at him. He's hanging there and he claimed, you know, to be the son of God. And now look at him. He just hangs there and he's dying. And, and you would have thought, man, this is, a, this is a total loss. And yet, what was the result of his death? Look at verse 9. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we might have sat there and said, there's a loss, but really, in the end, it was a win. I mean, it was the salvation of souls, the glory of his father, his eternal or eventual return to the right hand at, at his father's throne. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. This wasn't a loss at all. When Christ rose from the dead, it was a win for salvation. When he rose the third day, it was a win for obedience. It was a win for God's glory. It was a win for spiritual relationships. It was a win for everybody except for sin and Satan. They lost. But the rest of us won. Jesus Christ won. And we won as a result because we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And when he rose from the dead, he gave us victory power over sin. So choosing relationships over rights. It may feel like losing now. But it's a win both now and later. We just need to learn humility. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. See, deference needs to be a bigger part of our daily choices. Friends, some in here, you need to learn. You don't have to win every conversation. You don't have to get the last word. You don't have to always speak your mind. You don't have to win every argument. You don't have to make sure that your opinion is always the loudest. You don't always have to get your way. You'll find that once you take an L in the moment and it frees your conscience and you don't have to go to bed with regrets uh, then, and, and then you can preserve relationships and then and you might start to find that, that not winning the moment it really is the superior life. And, and it, should be, it should be obvious because that's the way Jesus did it. But we're sometimes so hard-headed that we think, well, but, I, but I've got to win the moment. No, if Jesus Christ, who deserved, deserves to sit at the right hand of his Father for eternity, if he would be willing to not win the moment, 
for something better, then who are we to think that we don't? Look, let's go back real quick to Genesis 13. I want to read the closing verses. And I want you to see, I mean, compare. We know how Lot's life ended. He ended up in the plain of Jordan, beautiful spot, but he was near Sodom where there was exceeding wickedness. But look what God came back and reconfirmed to Abram in verse 14. Genesis 13, 14. And says, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Friends, we might have looked at this situation and thought, well, Abram lost, but he didn't lose. See, what happened with, with Lot didn't affect Abram at all. He still had every promise. He still had every inch of ground. And while Lot had one geographic location of his choosing, Abram had everything of God's choosing. And God said, everywhere you can walk on it, listen, don't worry about that loss, because if you could walk on it, it's yours. And because you walked by faith, you win in the end. I'll make sure of that. And we see this chapter end with the two things that marked Abram's life, a tent and an altar. See, a tent indicated that Abram wasn't so connected down here that he established his roots. He was a sojourner his whole life. He didn't look at this world as his home. He was looking up. And it allowed him to rise above the strife of life. This issue with Lot didn't affect him because he was a citizen of heaven. Listen, one way to avoid the strife and to get past it is when it comes, acknowledge who you truly are. As a follower of God, you don't even belong here. here. So why do, get, why do we get so hung up on the wins and losses? And why do we keep so much score when in the end we have promises that tell us we already won? That's the tent. We ought to not get so attached that the strife bothers us that bad. The second, the final act of this chapter is Abram building an altar. And sometimes the only way to keep perspective on the wins and losses is you remember who you answer to. Listen, your relationship with God matters the most. And if you will keep that in mind every day, and that the most important outcome is that you win in God's eyes, that you please him above all else then it makes all the strife and the wins and losses seem so much smaller. So friend, be willing to lose a little. And before you say, I'm too competitive to let it go, you don't know my nature. No, I do. We're all, we're all sinners. No, just remember that the only person in the universe who deserves to sit on heaven's throne, his name is Jesus, and he was willing to take what appeared to be a loss in order to preserve a whole world of relationships. The servant's not greater than his master. 
So let's be willing to humble ourselves and submit to God's plans instead of ours. Let God handle what's right and wrong. Let God handle what's fair or what's not. You just be willing to choose your response based on what's allow- what allows you to win in the eyes of God. To be like Christ is to choose preserving relationships over protecting rights. That's to be like Christ. Let God take care of the wins and losses. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me give you an opportunity to respond this morning. The strife of life, boy, it really can trip us up if we're not careful. But if you'll remember who you are, you don't even, this isn't your home. You're a sojourner. And you'll remember who you answer to. You don't answer to anybody but God. And if you will simply make your choices based on what pleases God, then you will win every single time. It may not look like it. It may not feel like it. And it may not be easy. But when you remember who you are and you remember who you answer to, it will help you to overcome the strife of life. And then your mentality can be, I'm going to win right now by preserving a relationship. And I'm going to win later by pleasing God. If you'll do that, those two things, I I really believe it will transform how we deal with each other on a daily basis. Father, thank you for this truth. I pray that you'd help us, Lord. Help us to be submissive to your word. And it's just the way that it came in the process of expositional preaching. But I do think it's probably timely for some in this room this morning. God, we come and submit ourselves to you that we would deal with strife in the way that you did and that we're not looking to win every moment. Lord, we're looking to preserve relationships and please God. And if that happens, God, then you will take care of all the wins and losses. Help us, Lord. I do pray for those in this room this morning who may not have a relationship with God. I pray that you would help them to see their need for a Savior, Lord. They are sinners. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We deserve to be separated from you forever because of our sin. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You, yes, we deserve to be separated forever in hell. Yet your son came to die on the cross in our place so that we can have salvation. He came to preserve relationships. Lord, if we would simply by faith receive that payment, then anybody in this room this morning can be on their way to heaven and enjoy a relationship with you for eternity. I pray if anyone here doesn't know you, has never heard the gospel, they would be willing to submit themselves to it today. God, have your will and way among your people in dealing with strife. And then I do pray that you'd have your will and way among the lost in dealing with salvation. Have your will in way this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.